Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of BOP, the Big Orange podcast. My name is Matt Lucas and I'm the head of film and motion graphic here at Big Orange Media. We are a full-service media agency based in Tunbridge Wells in the UK and also over Amsterdam over in the Netherlands. This is the first of a two-part podcast, uh, so much stuff we couldn't fit it all into one, entitled So You Want to Sell Online, um, based pretty much on the fact that 2020 has been a very online year for lots of obvious reasons. With me today is Helen, who is our head of digital design. Helen, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Uh, so let's a little bit about your role and uh, how you operate within Big Orange Media. Sure. So I'm head of digital design and we basically bring clients' ideas to life in terms of website, email marketing um, and anything they may want to bring online. And this year, we've seen a real spike in interest in uh, e-commerce and selling online. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, these things today uh, and how we can help you start your online store. So along with myself and Joe, you were one of the first people in Big Orange Media. You are one of the first people that sort of came along um, to expand the company mm. um, at a time when obviously websites, uh, which have always been in demand, uh, were very much being uh, sort of requested um, as a service that we were providing. And I would say that over the course of that time, um, things have expanded to include e-commerce more and more. Would you say that um, the addition of e-commerce on websites is something that's happening more now, say, than when we started about four and a half years ago? Yeah, definitely. First of all, it might have been an option for clients where they might just want to add, for example, purchasing gift cards on their website, something quite small. Uh, whereas now we have a larger focus on wholly e-commerce websites, uh, where that is the main focus. The rest of the website is sort of just maybe ancillary information about the business. So it's almost like uh, rather than it being a website with like a shop attached to it, it's actually a shop more with things around it. Yeah, shop first and the other information is is definitely around it. And, and I presume obviously with 2020 being the way that it is with everything that's happened this year, um, there's been an increase certainly in, in interest uh, for people to start buying and selling more online. Yeah, definitely. At the beginning of lockdown, we especially saw a peak um, with bricks and mortar stores being closed, uh, but the opportunities on web still being there. And I think we all know how much uh, money we gave Jeff Bezos in the first few months <laughs> of, uh, of lockdown uh, because we needed we needed to buy things still. Um, but it's just a case of uh, getting them delivered to your door rather than popping out to your local shop and, and picking them up. Cool, absolutely. So um, we're going to go through a, a handful of different things today um, around this idea of, of going into an e-commerce platform or, or having e-commerce on a website. Um, we're going to start off the top 10 things to consider uh, when starting um, in e-commerce um, and then also some ideas of what you should do uh, once you start selling and also any next steps thereafter. Um, obviously, there's, there's plenty of advice in here. We've got some great stats and statistics. Um, so, Helen, over to you with the top 10 things. Sure. Well, uh, the one thing you've got to consider before you start, you might already have a business name um, and you might not, uh, but it's going to be the domain that people visit uh, when they're looking for your shop. So this can be quite tricky both ways. Either you will have a business name and every domain that you want is taken in sort of some way, shape or form. But as long as it's sort of fairly memorable, it's fairly easy for people to spell, um, you can always sort of work with hyphens or the different uh, suffixes, which is your .co.uk's or your .coms. Um, if you haven't started your business yet, then you've probably got a bit more option because if you want something really catchy, then you can kind of 
search for your domain first uh, and go from there. But uh, I think the main thing is just as long as it's not too difficult for people to to remember or to spell, um, then you you should be okay. Would you say that sort of the the, the top pitfalls of uh, domain name choices would be things like something that's too long to remember or potentially more than three or four words that you would try and shove into, let's face it, a a consistent line with no spacing except that that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And also you just want it to sort of, you've got to consider it's going to be on business cards and on other other information. So you don't want it running, running on forever. You also don't want to fall into the trap of two words being run together and looking like it reads something else. So, <laughs> <laughs> Like some hashtags I'm sure we're all familiar with. Exactly. You can fall into the same, uh, the same trap there. So it's, it's just being careful that, that that's not what you're remembered for. In terms of, and this is an interesting question that I've always kind of considered, and I'm sure it's changed over the course of time as well. Um, there was the dot-com boom originally, mm-hmm. sort of around 20 years ago, when, when the internet really did start to explode. And we've now seen uh, more suffixes, um, obviously .co.uk, but now the sort of industry-based ones as well. Is there any benefit to using those? I think at the moment, a lot more people sort of buy them up for the sake of having all the suffixes under one domain. So you might have your .co.uk, your .com, your .info. Some of them do have specific uh, relations to them. So obviously the one that springs to mind is .gov. You can't have .gov if you are not a government body. So um, some of them are more specific, but uh, a lot of people just buy them up mostly for sort of... uh, just to, just to ensure that they are all owned by the same business. That's true, actually. And I have as an example of that, um, when I, I used to work in a previous life, I used to work for a, a large employer here in, in, in Tunbridge Wells. And a good number of years ago, when these sort of more specific um, suffixes came out, these URL suffixes, they had to go through, by, by course, they had to go through and, and buy all of the ones that were, let's say, less than reputable. Exactly. So they had to buy .XXX and yes. all of those kinds of things. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. It's got to be just for brand security. You wouldn't want someone setting up, you know, Matt's exactly. awesome t-shirts.com uh, and you've got oh, you noticed, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then then they set up a rival site under under the same uh, under the same URL but with a, a, a different suffix I think the biggest one you can think of is Nissan the Nissan.com uh, I think is the one they don't own and there's a lovely website oh. from Mr. Nissan um, <laughs> saying how much he hates the uh, the car manufacturer because they tried to force him to sell his domain so yes it's it's uh, mainly for brand reputation i'd advise I it i definitely heard of that happening before i think there was what was it google that it was like for a short while it lapsed and somebody managed to buy it and they had to buy it back from them <laughs> is that I, I definitely heard that somewhere yeah it's it's uh, that is one thing is it it used to be more apparent when domains would lapse because you might find your perfect domain and there's nothing on it um and you can sometimes contact people or some people have bought up domains for the sake of 
reselling them. So we have had clients who've who've really wanted a domain. You go onto it, and there's a page that says, "If you want to buy this from us, please yeah. contact us." So um, some very smart people, sort of five to ten years ago, bought up some very memorable domains and get to sell them at a a really handsome price nowadays. So, um, and and here comes the worst joke of the podcast. That's the main thing. What's next? <laughs> um, so, before, let's think about all the things outside of the shop before you actually sort of get to making the website. Um, how are you going to get your products to your customers once you start selling? So, shipping. Um, obviously, in the UK, we've got Royal Mail, but then we have a number of sort of more private companies, your DPDs and uh, UPSs. Obviously, they all cost different things. So when you're starting out, you might want to choose a different uh, option that might be a bit more affordable for you. Um, But obviously, we all know at the moment, uh, postal services may be a little bit slower. So it's just balancing sort of customer expectation versus your budget at the time. Um, But I think the main thing is what is the cost of your product as well? If it's something very valuable, you're going to need to use a sort of higher rate of shipping to ensure that product gets to your customer in one piece. Uh, But if you are, for example, selling T-shirts, I think popping it uh, in the post for Royal Mail will be adequate. And there's, I'm, I'm presuming there's a scalability as well, as you say. There, there, there's there's the difference between something that is either small or is, is sort of offered more re- frequently like T-shirts or jewellery or mm. any of that that kind of stuff or phone cases. I bought a phone case this morning and I, I have no idea what that's going to turn up in, but <laughs> you kind of get the idea. And then obviously when it gets to much larger products or, or potentially more fragile things, you really also have to consider you know the cost implication of that versus getting it to the person in one piece. Yes, because there might also be sort of... Uh insurance uh, for your shipping for something that is larger, valuable, more breakable. Um, So it's just finding a a shipping provider that will cover uh, everything you need. But if you're looking at scaling the business with cheaper products, then you can always start with Royal Mail and look on to moving to a a different carrier um, once, once you've sort of gotten through your first six months, first year and seeing how things are going. Excellent. Cool. Okay, that's great. So domain and shipping. Uh, What's next? Uh, Payment providers. So this is quite a minefield in terms of uh, e-commerce. There are loads of payment providers out there. Hmm. The main thing to consider is selling online, unfortunately, is not free of charge to you. The, uh, The payment providers usually take a percentage and or a monthly payment from you. One of the main uh, providers that we come across quite a lot is Stripe. Um, They're extremely easy to set up, but some people can be quite surprised by the percentages that they take per transaction. So again, it's looking at the cost of your product versus the cost of the transaction fee with them and working out if that is good value for you. Um, You could look at a slightly different payment provider, such as uh, they were just called SagePay, but now they are just changing to Opeo. Um, and oh, really? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just as memorable, I'd say. For, yeah. <laughs> just making you say something slightly, oh, slightly stranger. <laughs> yes, exactly. There will still be sort of the credit card fees, um, but it's a slightly lower 
fee per transaction, but you'd pay them sort of an amount per month as well, um, just so you sort of pay the slightly lower credit card fees. So there, there, there are obviously different payment providers, as you said. There are different um, different ones out there that you can choose from. But presumably all of them um, fall under some kind of financial regulation in terms of the credit card details and any kind of payment transactions in terms of people's information. That's, that's a solid guarantee almost. Yes. And the main thing is when you're using these providers, a lot of them, when you're actually proceeding with the transaction, the actual transaction where sort of all the credit card information is stored and handled is handled by them. So you're not storing that information on your website. Um, All the technical part of it is taken care of by them because obviously there's more than just sending the money to you. There's merchant banks and there's payment providers and it all gets a bit confusing. But um, the most important thing is that it's handled by the experts uh, on, on their very secure systems. Brilliant. Okay. Um, and th- that kind of leads nicely into the next one, really, doesn't it, I suppose? Mm. Yes. Oh, the fun world of all your legal terms and conditions. <laughs> I, <laughs> I bring this up early because I think it's something that maybe slips people's minds a lot, or it's it's always that thing that's buried in the footer of a website. You might not ever look at a website's terms and conditions, um, but as a seller, you are legally uh, required to provide this information, um, whether it's, you know, people's right to a refund, what people are. If you're selling digital products, you need to inform them that they're not allowed to distribute it for free once they've bought it. Although these things may not necessarily stop people, for example, redistributing, it legally covers you having that information uh, available for um people to read so for me i always feel like legal information like this and we've had to do obviously a handful of things um from from big orange media's perspective over the course of uh, the last couple of years on our website and also obviously on all the websites that we work on certainly the e-commerce platforms but for me it's always one of those things that you never ever think about until it becomes a big problem mm. and usually when you have when people start to look at it it's because there is something that's going on that needs it's not a, a big problem or it's a problem that needs to be solved it's not something that you can forget about so mm. ha- it feels to me as though having that done correct all in line all you know using the correct terminology and covering yourself is is going to help you a lot if something does happen if you do have a, an angry customer or uh, you do have a, a dispute that you know you you, you have to t- you have to take somewhere if that's if that wording is correct and it's in place it covers you and i think it's i can see why you've had it so so high on the list yeah i think it's it is definitely something important because it's not not something you want to leave to the last minute. And there are lots of options out there to help you, uh, whether there's sort of online legal services that have templates that can help you or just find maybe someone someone locally who's uh, able to, if you write it yourself, check it over for you and mm. just make sure that, you know, it's been, it's been viewed by someone who has legal expertise um, and can just sort of say, yep, you're all good. You're all covered by, by these terms and conditions. Excellent. Uh, the next section gets a bit more creative, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've we've probably all seen a vast range of photography on on different e-commerce websites. The uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, <laughs> so people really want to know what your product looks like, and that's not going to be probably just one shot. It's going to be multiple angles um, and it's going to need to be well lit. If it's clothing, do you want it on a model? Um, 
or do you want it on a mannequin? At this stage, you might want to consider hiring a professional photographer, mainly because they can handle quite a lot of the different aspects of the photography. Um, say you are selling t-shirts, you can send them the product, we can source the models, they will have a nice white background to shoot them on, um, and then once the photographs are taken, they can do an edit for you to remove any dust or, you know, any marks in the background. And it just brings the entire focus onto your product and nothing else is distracting in the background. I think we've all sort of seen sort of slightly blurry photos, ones taken on iPhones. It just makes you a bit more uncertain about the, uh, about buying the product. I agree. Certainly for me, whenever I'm trying to buy a product online, because I'm not seeing it physically, because I'm not holding it in my hands and seeing it in front of me, it's so important that good photography is there to, to guide me into what it is that I'm buying. And I, I, I do find it very difficult to invest in and want to buy things that are shot in, in, in poor light. Now, obviously, cameras these days on phones are fantastic. And if you get things right, you know, you could potentially get something that's worthy of an initial set. But I agree with you in the sense of good photography really, really helps a product jump off the page and basically into somebody's basket um mm. and if you're not doing that you could be you could have the best product in the world and you'd be selling yourself short um yeah. certainly for the full website uh, one of our clients of full clothing um that we've done that was a, a, a great um example of that between obviously the construction of the website that you did and and the photography and some of the videos that we created um from my side as well within big orange media and the two came together very very well and it's a very polished website and i think the the photography definitely helps with that mm. and that's a good uh, point as well is um a fool's aesthetic is very clean and very stripped back so we shot the models on a plain white background and that means when the next uh, season of shirts comes around we can reproduce that imagery um, which is something you might want to consider if you're going to be bringing out new products do you always want your photography to look consistent if you had some images that were shot on a lovely autumn day and then the next time you brought out some new uh, some new products you you couldn't reproduce that uh, that background are you happy for the sort of imagery to jump around stylistically when you go into mm. your sort of main shop page it's something could to consider. Excellent, brilliant. So um, that's the first five. Uh, so a good domain name, uh, make sure you take care of your shipping, get a good payment provider that's, that's suitable for you. I think it was the, what I got from that, mm. uh, that, that part of it. Uh, legal is important, making sure that the website has uh, concise but also appropriate legal wording uh, should anything arise uh, from issues with, with your uh, business selling online. Uh, and, and also uh, photography, making sure that your product is uh, available um, and is viewed in the best possible light. So that's the top five. Moving into number six. So we're getting a bit more into the actual workings of your website now. Um, so it's basically knowing your numbers in stock management terms. This is really, really important when you're sort of dealing with limited quantities of a product. So we mostly use a system called WooCommerce, um, which allows you to manage your stock levels within the website. Um, so if you've got 10 of something, as soon as someone orders one of those products, the website will now know, okay, I've only got nine of those left. Your other option is a separate stock management system, which we can normally sort of plumb into the website so the two systems talk to each other. This might be helpful if you have a store on the high street as well and you've got 
different sources of uh, stock. So you might have a warehouse, you might have the shop, you might have separate stock just for the website, and it's just managing all of those. But for a lot of simple startup stores, just managing the stock on the website is really important. But you might want to consider when your stock is low, is this something that uh, you can reorder for your users? So if you've only got one left in stock, uh, is is there a back order uh, solution available? Yeah. So if you're low in stock, would you would you want a user still to be able to purchase that product uh, if you could get it to them uh, within a slightly longer period of time? I think stock management for people, as you say, that there's kind of two camps: stock management for people that are starting a new online e-commerce uh, business that's you know very say very tailored or is the first time they've ever had a chance to do this. It's very much very much a new thing and, and very important. If you're a business potentially that's already looking at stock management, management from a bricks and mortar store perspective you've probably got a little bit of an idea of how important that is already but it's also interesting to note that um Obviously, if you do have a bricks and mortar store and an online store, those things potentially don't aren't the same. They may not be drawing stock from the same place. Mm. So it's making sure that both of those worlds uh, sort of line up. And as you say, you don't run out of stock in one place because you've promised it to, to something else. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a bit of a balancing act. Excellent. Um, number seven. This is all about promotion. Uh, so whether your store has just started running or you're sort of getting ready for people to hear about your store, you're going to want to promote it. You could do this in probably too many different ways. (laughs) That might be emails, online advertising, Gosh, you could hand out flyers to people if you if you so desired. Um, old, but, old fashioned, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if your if your high street still gets some footfall, yes, yeah, um, yes. If you already have your bricks and mortar store, then are you going to promote it in there? Um, obviously, social media is a really big one now. You can't just hope to start your store and people will come. You've got to let people know about it and. I think, in our opinion, a lot of the process when setting up a new e-commerce store goes into that promotional side as well, uh, working with the client to figure out what is the best messaging, how we're going to run up to it, are we going to do sort of a a series of sort of sneak peeks or, um, you know, over a number of days are we going to sort of just build excitement over over the launching of the new store. I think also what's what's uh, good to note about that is that, and with all promotion really, something that we really try to, to um, hammer home to to our clients is that consistency of promotion is key. Yes. Um, yeah. So, and we're, we're going to get a little bit later on to, to, to more about uh, the look and feel of the site, etc. But uh, certainly uh, once you've got your brand idea it, for, for your company, overall um, you know you, you shouldn't be deviating from that unless there's a reason to in an online platform so if you already have a bricks and mortar uh, store um, and you're, you're expanding online unless there's a distinct difference between the two your promotion really should fit quite nicely with what you're already doing so that people are familiar um, oh I recognize that's the logo for that or that's the color scheme for that I've seen that before that exactly. kind of thing I feel is quite important yeah yeah definitely it's it's just an extension of of your brand identity already and just expanding those into different avenues and one thing that we do use a lot is is video um because it's a great way to tell people all about your business in a minute or so uh you know especially we can use it for online advertising promoting on your on your social media but yeah how else are you going to get people to understand what you do 
who you're selling it to and where to find your online store. So it's definitely something to consider whether whether video might be the, the best option just to get your message out to people in the most effective manner. Excellent. Um, on to number eight. So this kind of ties into number seven, hmm. um, but I think it deserves its own point, which is uh, mailing lists. So with a lot of clients, they might come to us and say, great, I've got my domain, but it's going to take us six, eight, 12 weeks to get the website running. What shall we do until then? And we always suggest, let's put up a page that says, we're coming soon. If you want to sign up to our mailing list, sign up here. Because obviously everyone's sort of saying to people, oh, I'm about to open my online store and they want to send their friends and family somewhere that they can have a look at. Um, and it's just a perfect way uh, to gather, start pulling together a mailing list of prospective customers. So you can send them an email straight away when your store opens to say, we're open, here's a promotion. And also once you uh, start selling online as well, is obviously great to get people on your website interested saying, oh, do you want to sign up to our mailing list? Uh, we normally do that sort of on the homepage or with an account set up on checkout. It certainly feels that it's a little bit like a, an online version of getting to know uh, the people that would walk into your, your store, your bricks and mortar shop. I kind of feel like certainly from a lot of independent retail outlets, they get to know their customers. They get to see them day in and day out, you'd like to think, uh, on a regular basis. And so almost a mailing list is a good way of retaining that information digitally so that you can then give them the offers um, that you would perhaps offer them in store and, and things that you'd say to them in person. Yeah, so that's a really good point, actually. Uh, from a seller's point of view, you're going to want to consider how you're talking to your customer because so you're going to want that to be really consistent. Um, for example, if you are selling clothing, you're probably going to be a little bit more colloquial, a bit more chatty. Um, but then if you're selling some kind of high-end jewellery, you might have a slightly different way of talking to your customer. And you're just going to want to make sure that that's consistent, again, through all of your marketing, but particularly through email, which can have a little bit more long form to it. You've also got your subject line, which is really important. Um, so that's just something to consider every time you're writing to the customer as the seller. That's a good point. Certainly what we talk about at Big Orange Media is tone of voice. Um, and some brands are going to have more than one. Certainly if you're mailing, say, teenagers that are interested more in uh, different types of outfits and clothing and casual wear, um, potentially you would be writing emails to them in a, in, a, in a very different sort of tone of voice than you would do, say, to somebody who's buying suits from you. Or um, if you do both, uh, if you're just a clothing range that covers all those different areas. Um, or maybe somebody who's very specifically interested in uh, a certain type of shoe, for example. So it could be somebody who's, who's buying training versus climbing boots mm. or again um, sort of more professional footwear exactly yeah so it's just considering your target audience but also keeping it within your overall tone of voice of your business absolutely absolutely uh, number nine which i think actually is a really important part of it but um, i can see why you, you've, you've added it here well yes this is the part we'd like to consider after we've done points one to eight, which is thinking about what your website looks like. <laughs> um, it's obviously the thing that people are super keen to start with, um, but we like to try and get as much of the sort of technical groundwork done uh, before we get to this part. Well, obviously at Big Orange, we have 
a really detailed chat with uh, customers about what they want their website to look like. We'll have a look at other websites that inspire them. Sometimes it's quite hard to articulate what about a website you like. So having a look at other people's is, is always a good way to, to start a conversation. I've also sort of suggested here structures and patterns which is more sort of about how the user interacts with your website rather than how it looks. This might be, for example, do you want your checkout to be on one page or do you want to slowly reveal the checkout one item at a time? An example of this, I think, is uh, John Lewis do this really well, which is called progressive disclosure, where first of all, you put your email in. Excellent. Okay, next page. Now you get the what's your address option. And you go, rather than being shown a hundred uh, options at once, you, you mm. get slowly shown the information. The other thing to consider is not annoying your customer. So a lot of these techniques have actually been sort of heavily discouraged nowadays. The one that springs to mind is the Sports Direct mug that nobody wanted, but everyone got. <laughs> I, I'm drinking from one right now. No. <laughs> So um, nowadays you cannot put things into people's baskets that they have to actively uncheck. Although some people might think, oh, this is a really clever idea, giving people these things. You've just got to be careful that what you're doing is sort of okay in terms of what we consider as uh, good patterns nowadays. Mm -hmm. You make a very good point there. A lot of clients that we speak to, certainly when it gets straight to the design phase, um, and that's understandable because essentially as a consumer, which which all of us are, um, as a consumer, the first thing you see is a really well-designed website. I want this font. I want this color. I want my photos to go here, etc. And those points uh, one through eight are, are really imperative to make sure that you've got the groundwork before you start getting into this design element. And I think also you touched on another really good point there, which is... Um, UX, user experience, um, which again is not something that uh, the casual consumer is necessarily aware of, or hopefully isn't, because if it's a, a website is made very well, they won't need to think about where they need to go to, to get what they want. Yeah. Um, a slick user experience is is key uh, when it comes uh, to you know being on any website, and, and, and you will all know this by going onto a website and thinking, oh, where's this? I can't quite find that. Where's the button for this? Why is that hidden down there? I don't understand where I'm going. As soon as you start asking yourself those questions, it doesn't matter what the product is it doesn't matter how much you want to buy the thing that somebody's selling you service product or otherwise if you can't find it and you become either upset about it or you know um, uh, disenfranchised with what you're doing mm. it can really damage um, the process of people actually buying your product yeah and that is something we have to talk to clients about sometimes is when you look at a lot of e-commerce websites they don't break the mold in terms of new and crazy ways to do mm. things mainly because users expect things a certain way and if you don't give them that it's probably just going to confuse them you want things as easy as possible from finding the product adding it to basket and to checking out absolutely and and also outside of that as we spoke earlier on about the idea of the website with the the, the shop bolt on or even the shop with the website around it even just getting to it even just finding yeah. the, the product that you want um, or even finding the service within, say, a larger website. The whole thing for me is 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 absolutely key. And I know from my perspective, and, and this may be because we work in an agency, I don't know whether you feel the same way, Helen, but if I find a website to be difficult to, to uh, get around, I, it, you know, I'm, I'm happy to try a competitor just almost to spite them, but also just to think, you know what, there's somebody out there that's got this right and they will get my custom. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost a level of customer service, mm. providing them a website that is easy to use and allows them to check out really easily. Yeah, it's pretty much the least you can do for your, <laughs> for your customers. <laughs> um, and finally, number 10. So this is kind of considering that you've started selling online or, or again, maybe you have your bricks and mortar store uh, and it's ratings and feedback. How many times have you gone onto a website and gone, oh, that looks really good, uh, but I'm just going to check the reviews and either there are no reviews and so you think, oh, I'm not too sure. Mm. Or there are 10 glowing reviews and you think, actually, yes, I will put that in my basket. It's user verified reviews are pretty much priceless nowadays because it's kind of just don't just take our word for it. Here's what genuine users, other people who have purchased this product, say about what we're selling. It's the digital version of word of mouth, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And you can sort of also benefit users as well. For example, you might see on some clothing stores where there's it's not just a, oh, this product was really nice. Again, go back to clothing. There's an option that says it fits true to size. You know, the material was really nice. Delivery was great. Um, so it just reinforces all these elements of the selling process. Whereas in the store, you might go in, try it on, touch the fabric. It just gives those mm. those tick box questions that people uh, are, are asking about your product and just answers it from, from other customers. Yeah, I certainly feel as though that word of mouth, even be it in a, in a digital platform, uh, really does help to enhance the experience for people because certainly if someone uh, refers me to something that I'm interested in, a person that I trust or even just a, a well-written uh, comment, that's going to be more to me, maybe, you could argue, um, than any of the promotion that's done elsewhere. Um, mm. Certainly, if a friend of mine suggests something or you know really says this is something you're really going to enjoy, I think you should uh, see it, do it, use it, whatever, in, indulge in it in some way. I, I will always take that over um, what the company wants me to see. Obviously, promotion, as we well know, has a very good place in that, and it's a great way to get engagement. But you know, word of mouth is is really a bit of a, um, a golden ticket almost. So to have that in that form, um, I guess the only thing that I find quite tricky is, and I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for this. Certainly now that I've had some negative experiences when. Um, uh, relying um, on certain types of feedback is just paying a bit more attention to what that feedback is. So mm. making sure that it isn't just a line that says, it's nice, five stars, or got it in one piece. You know, people who to within a certain amount uh, go into a little bit more detail, like you said, the fabric was great. It was delivered on time. I've, I've worn it many times and it hasn't, you know, the wash hasn't destroyed it, etc. We're talking about clothing or, or, you know, any other kind of thing that has wear and tear on it. Those sorts of things are very, very useful. Um, but it's also interesting to be able to try and navigate what TripAdvisor keyboard warriors <laughs> and mm. how they decide to <laughs> disseminate their information about how unhappy they are with something. And, and also just to pick up on a point that you mentioned there, the idea of having zero reviews or, uh, whatsoever, obviously that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, what would you say if you found a website that has 50 glowing five-star reviews without any kind of level of humanity in it that's a bit like, what, everything was perfect? Surely something in there had to have at some point even got a four or a 4.5. Yeah, yeah. The, there is always that minefield where it makes you suspicious, doesn't it? If mm. <laughs> if something is almost too good to be true. Yeah. And again, clients might ask us, you know, what if uh, someone writes us a bad review or, you know, they were unhappy with the product. And it's, I think there's something you said earlier is if someone someone recommends it 
something to you, it's because you trust them. Mm. Um, and the main thing here is that level of trust. So a part of that is that users trust that you won't be deleting bad reviews or yeah. using bots to only write good reviews. If anything, you'd hope that the, the quality of your product would shine through to most people. Um, but there are always going to be customers who are unhappy for mm. one reason or another. But I think the most important thing there is more how you deal and overcome that, uh, whether you're sort of, say, oh, really sorry, we'll send you another or we'll send you a discount for your next one or, you know, mm. whatever it is to resolve it. I think that's more important than saying I only want good reviews because at the end of the day, the, the trust level with your with your customers is really, really important. It's a, it's a good opportunity also to show how good you are at customer service, to be able to deal with negative feedback, certainly in an open and public forum like that. And um, I know that um, sort of, albeit on a website, uh, TripAdvisor review, on, on social media, certainly from, from my experiences um, early on in, in the days of Big Orange Media, you're given an opportunity where somebody has said, I'm dissatisfied with this product for whatever reason or this service for whatever reason. How you handle yourself in that may actually end up gaining um, a good reputation from people that have read that and seen how you've dealt with it, but also resolve the issue for the person that's had the, the, the problem in the first place. Exactly. And we have to be honest, everything doesn't go right all the time. Mm. And it might be things that are out of your hands. It might be your product got lost in the post, uh, which unfortunately is out of your control. But is still your responsibility. So it's going to cause people to be unhappy, um, but it's just, yeah, as you say, how you resolve that, that is really important. So that is the top 10 tips or the top 10 things uh, for starting to sell online, starting with a good domain name, making sure that you take care of the shipping uh, across, well, presumably nationwide, but also uh, around the globe. Uh, a decent payment provider. There are many, many online to choose from. Make sure you find the one that's, that's right for you. Ensuring that your legal terminology on the website is up to snuff, ready to go, um, so that should, should anything happen, that you're in a good place to deal with that. Make sure that you're using good photography. It will help you in the long run. It may be an investment uh, at first, um, but you'll see a better return, we feel, uh, with good and well-created photography rather than something that's sort of upside down on an, an iPhone, <laughs> for example. Um, stock management, making sure you know what you're selling, how much of it you have, and when to replenish, certainly. Promotion, obviously here at Big Orange Media, it's one of the things that we do most across all of our different uh, platforms uh, and mediums. Um, promotion is key. Maintaining a good mailing list and making sure that you are know who your customer base is online. Um, design, structure and patterns, it may be the first thing you think of, but actually it comes after all of those other things because if they're not in place, it's going to make it very difficult for you to make sure that the website that you have works properly. And finally, um, for ratings and feedback, make sure that you use it in a way uh, that can enhance you, but also a way to receive feedback and ch make changes going forward. That is the top 10. Thanks everyone for listening to this part one of our two-part podcast, So You Want to Sell Online. Uh, the second part will be coming later on this month. Please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, we'll be releasing a new podcast once every month, and in some cases too. You can get in contact with us over on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, alternatively, you can email us directly. Uh, certainly, you can get hold of me at matt at bigorangemedia.co.uk. Until the next broadcast, take care.